Um, but uh, we're going to continue our series uh, in Colossians. We have a couple more weeks to go. Um, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to Colossians uh, chapter 3. We're going to finish up uh, chapter 3 uh, this morning. If you've been following along at home. And uh, so last week, uh, Andy was talking about the, the Christian household. And, and what I, I tried to say a couple weeks ago, because I know you remember what I said a couple weeks ago, um, was that the, the Bible is very practical. And, uh, and when we look at Colossians and we look at books like Ephesians, the writer Paul here always spends an absorbent amount of time explaining and telling us what, what God has done for us in Christ, explaining this beautiful gospel of grace that God has come and did the miraculous. He has come to redeem sinners, that he's redeeming and restoring all things. And then he gets to the latter half of his letters, and often he's going to give us some very practical teaching on how do we live in light of this these things? How do we live in the reality that God has come to restore all things? Now that I'm a, I'm a new creation in, in Christ, I'm a child of God, how do, I, how do I put these things into practice? And Ephesians is a great example of that. First, cha- first three chapters, very Christ-centered, gospel-centered. And the last three are very on the ground. What does relationships look like? What does work look like? What does prayer look like? What does marriage look like? What does parenting look like? And Paul has done the same thing here in Colossians. And so we, we've kind of had almost like a, we're doing kind of like a a series within a series, like a five-part series on on how do we live as Christians in the world. If, if God in Christ is Lord of everything, then how does that affect, um, as we looked at a couple weeks ago, how does it affect me in light of my relationship with Christ in chapter 3? Um, how does that affect me with the church, how I relate to my brothers and sisters in Christ? We saw that in chapter 3 as well. And then also in the household, how does that relate to me and my husband, my wife, uh, my children? Um, and then today, we're going to look at, well, how does that affect me and my work life? Work life. Um, So if you have a Bible, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read that, and we're going to look at work, how does a gospel shape a Christian work like? Is that even a thing? Like, what does that look like? Is that just, you know, I put on the Lord's Gym t-shirt, and the mugs I hold at work, they all have verses on them, you know, I got to make sure my cross is out so everyone can know that I'm a Christian, or is there something deeper that it looks like for the Christian to work because of what the gospel has done in and through us, and what Christ has accomplished in and through us? So we're going to look at that here uh, this morning. So let's read that that text, just a couple verses here this morning. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 22. Uh, If you're reading ESV, it says slaves. So you're just like, yep, okay, work life, got it. Yep, that's that's Monday. Uh, That's me. Um, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Why don't we pray and ask God for help? Lord, we we do come to you and we know that you're a speaking God, you're a communicating God, and the primary way you do that is through your word. So give us ears to hear this morning, God. Uh, Remove any distractions, God. Where where we need comfort, may you comfort us. Where we need conviction, will you bring conviction and repentance? Where we need joy, may you restore the joy of our salvation. God, help us be not just hearers of your word, but help us be doers as well. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the context here, as Andy mentioned last week, is in the context of a household. Um, And so we we see this teaching on slaves and and masters. Now, um, let me say a couple couple words on that just to give some context as we get into the the practicality of what work is. So I'm going to frame this as work because really that's what it is. So in the first century, you would have a household. And often in those households, you would have uh, probably more correctly translated, not slaves, but servants or bond services, very common in Roman uh, Greek culture. And so people would live in the home and they would help do work around the house. And actually, when we look at, and I think it's important to give some context, is that when we think about slavery, um, maybe 400 years ago, you know, the African slave trade or modern day slavery. Um, That's not what we're talking about in the first century. 
Um, slavery or servanthood in the first century and even in the Old Testament times would have looked a little bit different. It wasn't that people were just property and didn't have you know, any voice. It actually could be actually somewhat lucrative. They provide shelter and food and, and even jobs and opportunity. And it usually wasn't a, a lifelong thing. Um, there usually be opportunities to go and eventually go and do something out in the world. So it's a little bit different. So when we hear slavery, we're just like, oh, geez, I mean, that's, well, it does describe my work on Monday. I mean, that's how I see myself. Um, but it is a working relationship. Relationship. It's a servant relationship. It's someone doing a task, doing a job in the home in the first century. And so that's why we're going to frame it as Christian work, because if we're removed from 2000 years, that makes total sense. Because, I mean, we don't really have unless you're just really well off and have some kind of butler situation or servant in your home. Most of this wouldn't uh, apply to you. Um, I know some of you do, but uh, no, we don't. But um, but but it's about work. It's about what does it look like to work, to be a servant, to do a job um, in in the world? So have that in your mind. We're not talking about this, this, you know, and it could be an abusive relationship. At times it would have been, um, but not always. Um, so, so we have that piece, but we also have this reality that when Paul is talking about all these relationships, he's talking about, you know, husbands and, and wives and parenting and, and work relationship. He, he's talking about what the gospel does gives us a new vision for all of those things. Because remember, Paul is writing to a people in a particular context, in a particular time. So women, for example, were not treated well in the first century. Children were, were not treated well. They were just an afterthought. That's why even in the Gospels, Jesus is constantly telling, you know, even his own disciples, like, hey, no, welcome the children. Bless the children. They're a blessing from God. Because in a first century culture, they would have been, hey, you don't have any value. You don't, you don't do anything for us. So they just kind of were pushed aside. But God's word and God's gospel would come and say, no, we're going to give a new, new picture, a new vision for what a godly gospel-driven marriage could look like or godly gospel-driven parenting or relationships or work life can look like right in the midst of a culture that sees these things absolutely different, that sees them almost on the opposite end of the spectrum. And that's why what Paul is doing here is so revolutionary um, when we think about what a Christian work life even looks like. So this is kind of the, the post-conversion vision for Paul, for Christians, of what does work look like now that I'm a Christian? Like, like how, because I've been changed, I'm a, I'm a new creation, what does that look like now? And that's the question I want to ask this morning is, how does our freedom in Christ shape our work? Because that's a lot of what Paul has been talking about for this whole letter. So how does our, our freedom in Christ, that, that we've been redeemed, that we've been forgiven, that we've been given grace, we've been shown mercy. There's nothing we could have done to earn ourselves. There's nothing we could do to be a child of God, but God has come and done something in us. So what does that look like now for going to work on Monday? On Monday. So first, what, what our freedom in Christ does is it frees us, um, or it freed us to a new motivation for work. It freed us to a new motivation work. So so where do I get that? Well, notice how Paul frames work here in 22. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now, on a quick read, that doesn't sound like freedom, does it? So, so slaves, servants, obey everything, those who are your earthly masters. So your boss, the one who, who gives you charge, who says you got to do these things, you got to make these things, you got to help these things, you got to put these things together, listen to everything they have to say. But what if it's a, a bad situation? Well, well he says you, you now have a, a new motivation, not by... by uh, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, which we'll get to in just a moment, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. So the, the, the motivation is, is not anymore for the, even the boss or the master, but it's I want to honor God. I want to honor Christ because of what he's, he's done for me. I want to make him look great in, in, in my life. Now, I think it's important for us, if we go back to the beginning of chapter 3, this makes total sense. Because remember how, how chapter 3 begins. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, so he, he frames all of this, these relationships, relationships with, with God and Christ, relationship with the church, relationships with our, our husbands and wives and kids, and now, now work. He says, 
you have a new life now. You've been raised with Christ. You're already seated in the heavenlies. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It's all yours. Every yes and amen belongs to you. God has been faithful on your behalf, and now he has given you life. He has given you salvation. He's given you grace. He's forgiven you of all your, your sins. Your life now is hidden in Christ. You've been united with him, this, this mystical, mysterious union with Christ. You belong to him. You have a new life, but this life now is found in Christ Jesus. Now, if your life is now hidden in Christ Jesus, go and work as if that is true. Go and work as if that is true. Slaves, servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people please, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, honoring the Lord, revering the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So, so your work can actually be an opportunity to worship the God who redeemed you, who seated you in the heavenly places, who's given you everything in Christ, that your life is now hidden in him. You are his. You belong to him. You have everything you need in him. So it gives us a a very different motivation for how we work. It's not about success and, and fame and money and even the work itself. Honestly, it's, it, it's about what God has, has called us to or given us to do each and every, every day. It's an opportunity to worship Him and make Him look great because He's the audience of one, because He's done this thing for us. He, he, he's redeemed us. He's, he's done the miraculous in us. Now, one question I, I always ask is, 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 you know, I think men who work outside the home or women who work outside the home, um, this may look a little more obvious, like you, you, you have a job, maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're in sales, maybe you own a company, whatever it is, you, you go off to work, okay, here's an opportunity to make God look great, to honor God by my work, um, I, I've been redeemed, it's not about people pleasing, it's not about if the boss is looking or not, we'll get into that in just a moment, um, that may be obvious, but, but I also, I, I think sometimes, uh, especially being a church of a lot of young families, and we have quite a few uh, ladies that stay home with children, is that I want you to also know that the, the work you do in the home, caring for children, teaching kill, children, uh, disciplining, is, is very much a job, uh, just so you know that. Um, you may not get paid. Your rewards are in heaven, by the way. Um, I know that doesn't sound that great, but they will come. Um, but it's, it's the hardest job. It might be the hardest job on the planet um, because I come home often at 5.30, and um, I don't know how you made it through the day. Um, I, I get it, we call it the witching hour, uh, anyone? Um, it, it's kind of like, you know, baby's on, on the leg, mom's trying to get dinner ready, and dad comes home, and it's just like, dad's home, yay, dad's home, and they're just like, oh, crawling, you know, punching each other. I mean, it's just like, it's chaos. It's the end of the day, right? It's, it's pain and suffering and gnashing of teeth. But, but what does it look like for a, a, a woman to honor, revere Christ even as they take care of, of kids? Now, there's another reason I say that is because um, what I call the mommy blogger phenomenon, it's not very helpful. Um, because I know ladies that you compare yourselves to a lot of people like the perfect mom or, or Instagram's not helpful either. Um, you know, the perfect family, you know, it's just like, hey, we had devotions tonight. It was like two hours long and daddy just walked through Romans line by line in the Greek. And, and, and here's my perfect, you know, organic vegan meal. And, and, and the kids are just sitting perfectly saying, yes, daddy. And yes, mother. And that's all captured on Instagram. And you're just like, that's the family I want. That's, that's what I want to be about. And I don't think that's very helpful because one, it's not real. Everybody snaps the picture when life's going well, right? When you're on top of the mountain, Kilimanjaro, right? The selfie. But it's that comparison, right? It's forgetting that in the end, it's not about pleasing my kids. It's not about pleasing my husband. It's not about, uh, it's ultimately about pleasing God and saying, I'm going to work and take care of my children for the glory of God. It's going to be an act of worship to him. And so whether you work inside the home, whether you work outside the home, what God is, or what God is doing through Paul and, and, and teaching us this morning is that, that, that our work can be an opportunity to worship God, to say it's not about what people think of me or what my boss thinks of me or about money or about success or about looking perfect or being the perfect mom or dad or, or, or marriage or, 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 or a parent, but it's an opportunity to worship God. So what is work? I kind of thought about that a lot this week. Like, like, is there a way we can define work? Um, 
I think it's a difficult thing. Like, what is the actual work that we do? But I'm going I'm to take a stab at one of the, um, I think our men uh, went through a book called Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. So it's a book about work. Um, and I love this quote that, that, that Keller gives about Tim Keller. He's a pastor, a former pastor in New York. He says, work is the material creation was made by God to be developed, cultivated, and cared for in an endless number of ways through human labor. But even the simplest of these ways is important. Without them all, human life cannot flourish. Let me read that one more time. The material material creation was made by God to be developed, cultivated, and cared for in an endless number of ways through human labor. But even the simplest of these ways is important. Without them all, human life cannot flourish. I'm willing to bet that most of you on Monday don't think about human flourishing when you go into your job. Any, Any show of hands? Be vulnerable, right? Today is about human flourishing. I'm going to put that spreadsheet together. It's about human flourishing. I'm going to go work my business, human flourishing. I'm going to go take care of those kids. I'm going to uh, you know, engineer that building or, or that bridge, human flourishing. I'm going to go do the sales job, human flourishing. But think about a world where people didn't have work or jobs to do. Think about what our society or culture would look like. It would just crumble before our eyes. And we don't think about the, the trash man who comes on, at least in my neighborhood, who comes on Wednesdays, right? I mean, I would just have trash just lined up all out, you know, if no one came and did the recycling, right? I mean, you know, think about doctors and lawyers and teachers and moms and dads and businesses. I mean, all of these things are designed for to take the stuff that God has made and to fashion it and work it to do labor for the glory of God, to, to make sure that, that people can flourish in their lives. A lot of us, the salesman doesn't think about the sale that you just made is actually making money for someone so they can take care of their families or help a business be more efficient so they can make a better profit so they can take care of their families, right? The engineer who, who, who designs that house or designs that bridge or, or the construction worker that, that builds that house to say, there's going to be a family who's going to live in this house for maybe the next 30, 40 years, and it's going to be safe and sound, and they're going to have great joy in that place. Without that person and those skills and that our culture would just disintegrate. So I think work takes on many shapes and sizes from the woman taking care of a child, teaching them, caring for them, taking care of the home, whatever it is, to the engineer. All of those things are opportunities to help humans flourish. And so what's so interesting about Paul in Colossians is he doesn't get into the job situation all that much. He says, slaves, obey in everything who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, but whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive an inheritance as your reward. He doesn't get into the nitty-gritty of what does Monday look like, but, but, but he's saying you can, you can obey your, your master, you can obey your managers, you can obey your CEO, whatever it is, because you're going to be so rooted and built up in your identity in Christ that, that, that this new reality is going to take on new shape, and you're going to say that I, I've been, been called, whatever my vocation is, whether taking care of kids or, or teaching kids or whatever it is, here's an opportunity to glorify and worship God. Here's an opportunity to help others flourish. Right? I know our elder Scott, elder statesman, um, right? He works with college students, helping them get in college, helping them with all of those things that go into them. Have you ever gone to college? It's a nightmare trying to even get in the thing. And what forms do I fill out? What do I do? I mean, he does all that, right? I mean, all of that is an opportunity to help kids flourish. Whatever your, your job is. But, but I'm so rooted in that, that I cannot look at my boss with disdain, but I can say I'm doing this for an audience of one. Because I have a new identity in, in Christ. I love the way Paul, um, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about his work. Now, the Apostle Paul was a very busy man. Um, would you say? I mean... I think it helped he didn't have a wife or, ki- or children. Let's just give him that. He was a single man. Um, he had a lot of, a lot of time to, to change the world uh, with the gospel. Um, but he's an interesting guy because he um, changed the world, but he also worked the job. He, he was a tent maker. He's by vocation. I mean, he did all kinds of stuff. I mean, in the midst of being thrown in prison for months, sometimes even years on end. And, and just he was a man, a, man, a man who accomplished a lot of things. But, but look at the way he talks about understanding his work life. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, turn too fast, verse 10. I'll start at 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether, it, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. It's an interesting statement that, that Paul makes, is that he understands his work is all grace. He says, the fact that I can even do what I'm doing, the fact that I'm even a Christian is all grace, because I used to persecute the church. I was a, I was a terrorist, essentially. The, the fact that I am an apostle, the fact that I am even able to accomplish all that I've accomplished is all the grace of God. This is not my doing. This is God working in and through me. The, the energy that he gives, he says that, that in another place, he says, you know, this, this energy is all the grace of God. This, this love that compels me, it's all him working in and through me. That anything I could even accomplish in this life would be all from him. Very interesting. Because how often, I mean, again, in our culture, we've just lost our minds when it comes to work. You can do anything you want to. You can be anything you want to. No, you can't until you realize you can't be everything you want to. You grow up a little bit and go, no, I'm just not good. I'm not, I, I mean, I'd love to be that guy, but I'm not that guy. I don't have those gifts. I don't have that talent. I don't have that energy. So, so even Paul would say that, that even whatever you're able to do in this life or whatever your work is, it's all a gift of grace. God put you in a certain family. God gave you certain intellectual capacities, certain physical capacities, all of it. It doesn't mean you can do anything you want, but whatever God has called you to, whatever you can do, Remember that it's his grace working in and through you. Even the strength to get up on Monday and change another diaper, right? Amen, sisters and brothers. Like, it's a weird thing when you do the potty training thing. A little side note. I don't know if this ties in. Probably not. But you want, like, to, to be potty trained, but then you realize potty training, like, when they have no diapers, it's a nightmare. You can't go anywhere. Like, you're hostage in your house, Right? So it's just the grace of God. Like we're trying to, our three-year-old, this is very real right now. So our three-year-old, we're trying to get him potty trained, right? And it's just like a lot of like, like good days and bad days. And just like, why didn't you tell mommy and daddy you had to poop? And then he just poops in Target, right? I mean, it just happens. It's like, oh, diapers are so much easier. Road trips are so much easier when they don't have underwear. Anyway, that's, is that too much information? But it's all grace. It's all grace. Now, why do I say that? There's another reason I say this. this. This was really helpful for me years and years ago. Um, you might have heard me quote John Piper before, um, but he, he, he's a pastor in, in, in Minnesota, and uh, he, he talked about this thing, and I read this like 15 years ago, and he talked about the debtor's ethic, and it was kind of a weird idea, and I didn't really understand what, what he meant. He's a pretty smart guy. But he talks about the debtor's ethic. He says that a lot of Christians think that because God has done these things in our lives that we owe God something, that he's in our debt. So, so, so to make God look great, like he's done, he's redeemed me, he's forgiven me, he's done all these things. Now I need to go do things so that God will be happy or, or, or somehow I'm put in his debt. But that's not how the gospel works. We can never pay back God for what he's done. For the cross, we can't pay, he's God. He's the only worthy sacrifice. We can't do that, Right. But often that gets kind of clogged up in our hearts, right? When, years ago when I was, I used to work with some, some addicts in a, a ministry, and um, the, the one thing that was interesting is when they, when they got clean and they became Christians, they would, they would want to put everyone in their debt. Like, I have to kind of work off all the bad things that I've done, right? I've got to make amends with everybody, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, going and reconciling with people, of course you want to do that. But, but, but it's just this idea, like, and I used to have to just con- constantly just go, that's not how the gospel works. Christ has covered all of those things. You can never put him in your debt. That's just some kind of weird form of Catholicism. Like, I'm going to do these things, and then maybe God will be happy, maybe he won't be. That's not how the gospel works. That's not how, how grace works. So, so here's, here's what Piper says. That was a long introduction to this quote. But he said, God takes pain to motivate us by reminding us that he is now and always will be working for those who follow him in the obedience of faith. He never stops and waits for us to work for him out of gratitude. He guards us from the mindset of a debtor by reminding us that all our Christian labor for him is a gift from him. And that's 1 Corinthians 15.10. 
and therefore cannot be conceived as a payment of debt. In fact, the astonishing thing is that every good deed we do in dependence on him to pay him back does just the opposite. It puts us ever deeper in debt to his grace. I labored, and he's quoting Paul, I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. 1 Corinthians 15.10 Let us teach people that is exactly where God wants us to be through all eternity, going ever deeper in debt to grace. Should we then stop preaching gratitude as a motivation? I leave that for you to answer. But if we go on urging people to obey out of gratitude, we should at least show them the lurking dangers and describe how gratitude can motivate obedience without succumbing to a debtor's mentality. So, so, so what Piper is saying, it's, there is a sense of thanksgiving. Yes, it's all over the scriptures. We should be thankful for what God has done, but we don't, we're not thankful and motivated by somehow having this debtor's ethic that by my work or by these things, when I go to work on Monday, I'm somehow going, thank you, God, for all these things, and I'm going to work like crazy to make you happy. That's not how grace works. Because you even need the grace of God to even do the work that God has called you to, amen? Right? What I just said, I mean, to change that dirty diaper, to build that bridge, to make that sales call, right? To, to engineer that thing, to build that, that house, whatever it is, we even need God's grace in that. So it's all grace. It's all in him. So when we kind of shift our thinking, we go, thank you, God, for even the ability to get up on Monday and do the work that you've called me to. It's all grace. But now, knowing who you are and knowing what you've done, I can do it wholeheartedly. I can do it with a new, a new motivation, which leads to the second uh, part here, is that we're freed to a new workday posture. A new workday posture because of our freedom in Christ. So, so notice, I, I've mentioned it, I, mean, I read over it a couple, couple times, this eye-pleasing deal. So there's a new posture, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the, the Lord. So, so eye service is essentially the same as people pleasing. <laughs> so, so eye service is, when you go to work, and the boss is watching you, you're all in. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Whatever you want. I'm here for you. I serve you. I love you. I want a promotion. Whatever it is, right? When they're watching you, you're doing the best job that you've ever done, right? You're doing it by the policy. You're doing it by a protocol. You're, 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 you're making sure all the, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and, and everybody's watching. But when he leaves the room, you're watching YouTube videos, not doing your work. So, so what is that? It's just a form of people pleasing. You want your boss to be pleased with you, right? You want him to see that you're a good, motivated, you showed up on time, right? You wore the suit, you did the deal. But as soon as he or she leaves the room, I don't care anymore. I'm not doing a good job. I'm not working hard. But you see what the gospel gives us. Are the resources say, whether the boss is in the room or not, I work for the Lord. I'm going to do it wholeheartedly. I'm going to do it with integrity. This was a big um, eye-opener for me. So about nine years ago, my wife and I and our, our little Noah, he's about this big, 19 months, moved to Kansas City to plant New City Church. And, um, and, and what's really weird when you plant a church by yourself is that you don't have a church. Um, you don't have any people. Um, and you don't have a boss. Um, I still have a boss. Jesus is my boss, but I mean, kind of do. But, um, but no one told me that I was going to have to wake up on Monday and go, okay, now what am I supposed to do today? Right, I didn't have anyone. You know, I had I had worked in churches. I was on staff. I was a youth pastor. I was associate pastor. I worked these jobs. Right, I had bosses that would tell me, "Hey, you need to do this. You need to do that." Right, and so here I am planning a church with my, you know, the the Trinity, me, my wife, and 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 Noah, sitting in my home office, going, "Huh, there's no one there to to help me. There's no one telling me what I need to do." But it was passages like this that really helped. Whatever you do, do, do it wholeheartedly, not to please man. It wasn't to please my denomination. It wasn't to please my network or my coaches or whoever was helping me. Like, like again, they weren't telling me what, what, what to do, but I had to find a, a deeper reality and deeper motivation to say that whatever I'm going to do, I want to make God look great. Not to please man. And believe me, that temptation is real. So every time you meet with someone, hey, how many people got in your church now? Right? How many people came to faith? Right? It's all numbers. How much money you got? Well, um, $4. Is that good? I don't know. <laughs> right? It's praying for a miracle, which is a true statement. But, but, but how, does a, how does a person have any kind of motivation other than themselves or fame or money or status that doesn't come from outside, from God? 
So, so Paul is, is kind of opening up the door and he's saying Coram Deo, which is before the face of God. We all live before the face of God. So, so, so God still sees us and knows us whether your boss is in the room or not. But he says, now you've been freed. You don't have to please him anymore. That's not your ultimate motivation. Now, let me just say with a caveat, there's nothing wrong with doing a good job and trying to please your boss, by the way. Because I know people could just say, I don't care. I'm a Christian. Audience of one. Right? And he's like, well, you're doing a crappy job. I don't care. Right? That's not that. Like, you, you should intrinsically say, yeah, I work for people. There's, there's a product I make. There's a thing I create. There's a, you know, there's a sermon I have to preach. Whatever, whatever it is, I should care about the people that are there. But that's not my primary motivation. That's like when someone says, I don't care what people think about me. Well, you should, because usually those people are jerks. Like, if you're just like, well, I don't care. It doesn't really matter. And then you're just kind of rolling over everyone, and you're just like, everyone leaves you, and you're just like, well, they're the problem, not me. It's like, no, because you're not very nice. No one wants to be around you. So it does matter on one level, but our, our primary, ultimate thing is, Paul says, be wary of the, the people pleasing, the eye server. So instead... Do it with a sincerity of heart. Now, sincerity of heart is all of our faculties. A single attention, honesty, no pretense. And then he tacks on fearing the Lord, honoring the Lord. So I can do my work with a single attitude, a single focus to say it's, it's to honor God, it's to make much of, of God, but I'm going to do it not because I'm going to try to please someone else or, or, or do it while the boss is in the room and that's going to be my motivation, but I'm going to do it for the, the, the glory of God with a sincerity of heart, a, a, an attention, a focus that comes from God. You know how freeing this is? How many of us have worked for just a horrible boss? I know some of you are in this room. Be a better boss, Michael Young. <laughs> just kidding. He's a great boss. Just ask his kids. Maybe, maybe kids can verify. But we all have, right? And, and so then we, we do the flip and we just go, well, I'm just going to not do a good job anymore. Forget that guy or, or that, that woman. Right? I've, I've had horrible bosses. I, I, used to, <laughs> I used to work at golf courses um, in college and, and after college. And um, I, I, w- I mean, I would say I was, I was one of their better employees. And, and really, that wasn't that big a deal. It was just like showing up on time and like taking a shower. Usually, just the nature of golf courses, right? Um, and, and I worked hard. I, did, I, did, I feel like I did a good job. And I, I liked what I, I did. But I remember um, every year, they would sit me down and go, Ryan, we're going to have a review. And we're going to talk about how you've done. And, and this is the point where you get a raise. And um, so the first year, I got a quarter raise. Quarter, like change. Like, that's not a race. Like, that's, that's not living, you know, like, cost of living goes up, like, a quarter. The second year, I got another quarter raise. Then the third year, I got another quarter raise. So I'm making, like, six seventy-five an hour, all right? I go in, hey, I, I feel like I'm doing a good job. You tell me I'm doing a good job. I, I, I work really hard. I, I like what I, I do. Like, could, could, could I get a little more, more cash than this? well, we can just hire someone else and pay him less. That was his answer. Mm. I don't know if I had Colossians 3 planted in my heart yet at that point. But whether the boss gives me that raise or not, I have a different motivation. Now, there may be a time where you have to say, you know what, it's time to leave. I just can't, I can't support my family. I can't, you know, that, that's not the conversation here. But it's also to say that, that sometimes the, the external, the circumstance, the situation is not going to change. And most of the time it's not. And that's what's so interesting about Paul, that he's even addressing a situation of slavery and servanthood in a first century culture that's not always good. But he doesn't talk about changing the system. He talks about changing your heart so that you can live in the midst of a corrupt system. And see, what, what happens, I think, so often is that we, we spend all our time just saying, well, if we just you know, started our own company or did our own thing, and then we'd be better workers. If I just had a, had a new job, if, I, if the grass was greener, if I just moved over here, then maybe I'd be happy. But God says, no, 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 no. Because sometimes those circumstances, well, most of the time, you're not going to have any say in those circumstances. But what if I was to change your heart so that you could live right in the midst of horrible circumstances and still do it for my glory and honor? and not do it to please your boss, 
but to do it for the glory of God because you're new and you're in Christ and you have everything that you need in Christ. That's what's so remarkable about the Christian faith and the gospel is that God has given us spiritual resources to walk right through the midst of horrible circumstances. And that's a lie that our culture doesn't get yet. We'll just, you know, we got the internet now. Just change your job. Just, right? just go sit on a beach with your laptop and make a million bucks online. Well, it's not as easy as it looks. I know people have tried. But what if you had the spiritual resources to walk right in the middle of a job that's not ideal or that's hard or only gives you a quarter raise every year? So it frees us from eye service, people-pleasing. It flips it so that we can fear the Lord. We can honor the Lord. He becomes our motivation. But it also frees us. There's another posture for, for Monday is it frees us to do hard work and to work hard, work heartily, as, as Paul says in, in verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Heartily is all of our faculties, all of our, our mind, soul, strength, every right. We can, because we have this new freedom in Christ, because we've been bought at a price, we are forgiven. We have everything we need in Christ. It's not about pleasing my boss. It's not about pleasing man or looking successful, but now I'm doing it for the honor of God. I can work extremely hard. In the big things and the small things, taking care of kids or starting companies, I can work heartily for the Lord and I can give them my all. And to be honest, I think Christians should be the best workers there are because of this passage and passages like it, because of what we have in Christ. You know why? Because all the other stuff that we think is so important well, I got to make, I got to look good because I, w- I want that promotion. If I want to be a VP, I got to, right? I mean, that, that's just slavery. Always wondering, always worrying, you know, do I look good? Am I smart? Am I, did I wear the right clothes? You know, did I say the right things? Well, I got to make a certain amount of money. If I don't get promoted and I don't make enough money, well, I can't have my boats and I can't have my, my certain lifestyle and all this. And that just becomes slavery too, because once you get the boats, it just becomes slavery because you got to take care of the dang things. Not that I know, but what I've heard. Right? Stuff breaks, right? So it's freeing us from those external motivators. There's a guy, um, Daniel Pink, years ago. He wrote this interesting book. Not a Christian guy, but he, but he wrote this, this book on work. And he said, um, what's interesting about the workplace is that we're trying to motivate people by carrot and stick. And so, you know, a, a carrot and a stick is, is basically like, hey, I'll pay you more. I'll give you a good work environment and, and all those kinds of things. And, and the reality was he, he was showing through research and science that really that doesn't motivate anybody. You can have, make a million bucks and just hate your life and hate your job. All right. We just saw some horrendous things. Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade take their own lives. Successful in every way. More money than all the money in this room put together. I think they came to a point, and again, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know them. I don't know the situation. Depression and, and all that is, is evil and, and sad and takes people to dark places. I understand that. But they had all the success, and it just didn't seem to do it. It didn't satisfy the way they thought it would. That's, that's my belief. And I think we've all been there, right? I don't care if you're a pastor in a church. You finally start that church. You get that big, big, you know, mega church, finally the dream job, and two months in, you're like, not the dream job. <laughs> we need a, a different underlying motivator. That we can have all the money and all the things, the carrot and the stick, and if I just had more money, if I just had a better work environment, but we know in the, in the end, we can have all those things and still be, be dying. So we're free to work wholeheartedly, even though the circumstances might not be the best. And Paul, brilliantly, in verse 24, gives us a little, a little, a little uh, motivator. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. He points the church to the future and says, there's a reward coming that no amount of promotion, success, and money can give you. It's a reward of God himself, heaven itself, the kingdom itself. I, I, I joke and I always say, you know, as a pastor, like, we don't, get, we don't make a ton of money, but, you know, your reward's in heaven. I mean, that's the joke. But, it, but in some ways it is. Like, that's the best reward. The, the best reward is, is Christ whether you're a pastor or a mom, or, right? And, and so, so our, our, our reward, our motivator is not the things, it's not the stuff, right? Because here's the problem with money, you run out of it, right? 
Like some of you knew, I, we had a power outage, and um, so the tree fell in our backyard, took out the power line, took out Google Fiber, which was the worst part of it. Um, what are we going to do? We don't have Netflix. The kids are going to die. Um, <laughs> no, it really was horrible, not having power for two days. But um, So they get, they get the thing up, and, and sorry, if you, work for, if you work for KCPNL, I, I apologize. But... Um, so KCPNL comes out, they put up the, the, the line again, we get power in the house, great, but, but all the stuff that broke off the side of the house, like the conduit that goes around the wire and all that, that's, that's on me. And it's not cheap. So we're going to take a special offering right now. So, um, <laughs> as the Lord has moved in your heart, no. See, the, the problem with money is that often it goes out faster than it comes in. I didn't plan on that, right? I just thought, well, KCPNL will take care of that. Well, apparently they don't. But if that's what we, we live for, it just never seems to satisfy. When we get that promotion and we get a bunch of people around us and we have, finally have the power that we think we deserve, it, it wanes pretty quickly. But we're free to work hard and we can know our reward is coming, ultimately having our salvation be sight in Christ. And that any wrongdoing that was done in, in the workplace against us or otherwise... We know, as Paul says in 25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Well, I, I love those two verses because it just it gives us just a, a holistic way of looking at work on Monday to say, even as a pastor, there's hard days. Like, like, like I, even the, the, this idea of dream job, like, I don't know if that's a real thing. Job is good. Work is good. It's a God-given thing. As image bearers of God, we, we know. If we don't work, we, we get bored and depressed and all kinds of stuff. But to know that I have a reward that's greater than anyone knowing my name, anyone knowing having money, any, any of those things, that, 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 that is just, who cares? And to know that anything that I experience in a bad work environment, those people that have maybe hurt me or abused me or said horrible things about me, God will deal with them too. Right? We're all accountable. Every human on the planet will be held accountable. So maybe that's not our fight. Maybe that's not our our fight. And what I think is so revolutionary about what we're looking at here this morning, again, is that Paul is not addressing the system of slavery, of servanthood, of of master relationships. He's not even addressing that. He's saying Christ and the gospel and trusting in him is going to give you all the spiritual resources you need even when the circumstances don't change. I think that's a word all of us need to hear, right? I'm so prone to just be like, you know, church was a little bigger. If I just made a little more money, I could just, right? But I think in the midst of that, when when things aren't good and it's hard, I think as the Bible would say, it's cultivating hope in me and endurance in me and patience in me. When life's not going well, does anyone learn anything when they have a million dollars in the bank and they're on their boat and and their body's really healthy and they got six-pack abs? No one learns anything, Right? I mean, I've never heard that testimony, ever. You know, I was like, hey, Ryan, you know, I started the company. I was a, you know, I was a janitor, and now I make eight bazillion dollars a minute. And I want to tell you all the things I've learned from that. It's no, when I was the janitor and things were hard and things were falling apart, right? When I was suffering, when I lost a child, when, when the job, when I lost my job, I lost my health, I lost all this stuff. It's in those moments that God is cultivating endurance and hope and faith, right? When the circumstances don't change. And yet Paul is saying, I'm giving you all the, all the spiritual resources you need that even when the circumstances don't change, you can still walk right through the middle of it. You don't have to change the man. But God wants to change your heart so that you can live lovingly and graciously with the man. You know when I say the man? You know, ask your neighbor if you don't know what that means. And that's what I love about this, this text. That we can go on Monday and have the spiritual capacity to walk and live and do good work for the glory of God. And again, it's not about the Jesus fish t-shirt. It's not about only listening to the DC talk or, or whatever it is but it's about working wholeheartedly. It's about not trying to please everyone around you because, again, that's just slavery. But it's to do it out of a fear, out of an honor, out of a respect for the Lord 
because he's given me everything and knowing at the same time that he's given me the grace even to do the work that he's called me to do. So just as we close, just a couple questions. I think implications, applications, I think are important. Just to get at the, the heart, soul level. What motivates your work life? Money, success, privilege, power? Or is it really to, to honor Christ? That I want to honor Christ in my work. Whatever God has called me, however big or however small. Whether you have to manage thousands of people or just manage your home. Whatever it is. Like, like what really motivates? I mean, is it always thinking about the next thing, the next money, the net more success, you know, better work environment, you know, better cubicle? If I just had that stand-up desk, I know, I know I got the one that doesn't raise on its own, but if I had that stand-up desk, maybe I'd be happier. Maybe the company car, whatever it is. But, but where are you at in that? And then another question is just, just on, our, on our work days, our Monday, whether we're taking care of kids or building bridges, whatever it is, how do I make Jesus look beautiful and central in my life at work? What would that look like? What would that look like? What would it look like to work wholeheartedly for the Lord? Maybe you find yourself, man, I'm that guy or that woman. When the boss is in the room, yes, sir. As soon as he leaves, cat videos on, on YouTube. <laughs> that was a funny one. I love watching those ones where the people slip on ice. So funny. What motivates you? Now, second one, set of questions. I kept this verse out. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Paul's not going to let those who are in charge of people, those who care for people, those who lead people off the hook. He says... Hey, remember, you have a master in heaven as well. So just as he's been just and fair to you, you be just and fair to your employees. So if you have the charge over a home, over a company, over a division, you treat your employees and people in your charge fairly, knowing that you have a heavenly master who's been gracious and fair and just to you. Or do you treat them as lackeys? Do you treat them as non-image bearers of God, just someone who's there to just make the company go and make a profit or whatever? I think as a Christian, you can change that narrative. Now, granted, companies need to make money. Businesses need to make money, of course. But you don't have to treat people like crap. You treat them justly and fairly the way you've been treated justly and fairly by God himself. Does Jesus, your one true master, drive your work, your business, your company, your home? Do you think about those things? How do you set a tone in your home or in your workplace that says Jesus is everything? He's my joy. He's my grace. He's my, my, my ultimate good. Or is it the whip, <laughs> control? And I'm going to speak to pastors because I am one. Do you treat your congregation leaders justly, fairly, graciously because Jesus is your master who has treated you fairly, justly, and generously? I know a lot of pastors, and please, you can tell me if I, I ever treat you with lack of grace, lack of love, because I've been around where pastors just get it in their head. Well, I'm the pastor. I can just say whatever I want. I can control people. I can tell them what to do. And, and I, I've really prayed and worked hard not to create an environment that our elders, our deacons, they're, they're very gracious, humble men. I want that to be our, our city group leaders, our, our people who live, lead kids' ministry, lead men's ministry, lead women's ministry, whatever. Is that, there's, a, there's a simple, there's a, there's a posture of we've been treated justly and fairly by Christ. We want to treat others that way as well because of the gospel's done in us. You don't think standing on a stage isn't intoxicating every week? Like, it's, there's some power here, right? I mean, I got the face mic. You don't. I can say whatever I want. But you have to die to those things. And say, it's not about that. It's about serving you with God's word. It's about loving you. It's about, you know, I'm, I don't own you. Like, you're God's people. I'm God's people, right? I'm not the senior pastor. Jesus is the senior pastor and senior shepherd of his church. But I have to be reminded of those things often, right? Just as Paul would remind us this morning. So the good news this morning, as we take the Lord's Supper, as we do every week, is that Jesus did his work wholeheartedly. You ever think about that? He had a mission from God. He did it wholeheartedly. He did it without resistance. You're going to come as my son in the form of flesh, fully man, fully God. 
and you're going to lay your life down for sinners like us. And he did his work. He completed it. His hands were spread upon the cross and said, it is finished. How many times in Jesus' life and ministry could he have said, forget this stuff, right? This isn't worth it. The environment was not great. Everyone wanted to kill him. <laughs> I don't know how bad your work day is on Monday. I doubt anyone wants to kill you, maybe, but I doubt it. And yet, for the glory of God, my Father who has sent me, I have a mission to complete. And I'm going to finish it. And he finished it for you and me. His body represented by the, the broken bread, the, by the bread and his blood shed represented by the cup, toning for our sins. And what's, that's the, the good news for us as we think about our work life and we think about hard days and hard bosses and situations that are difficult is that God's grace is sufficient for us, that he's with us right in the midst of those things. And his life and his death proves it. So if you're a believer in Christ, please come and, and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. The way we do it, we have two servers in the front. We break off a piece of the bread, we dip it in the cup. If you have any kind of allergies, we have gluten-free, nut-free bread in the middle. Please feel free to take that. And if you're not a believer in Christ, we want you to be. <laughs> and so we have a, a few uh, prayers in the, the city life that, to, to think about that, to contemplate that. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, and, and even though this is a sermon about work, um, you just have this sense of, like, my whole motivation in life is not about God or Christ, but it's about money and success and, and fame and, and getting something or achieving something or living somewhere or whatever. If maybe your heart's beginning to change in that, that could be Christ wooing you and saying, I can give you something better that will satisfy you now and forever. That could be what's happening in your soul if you're feeling that a little bit. Because no amount of money, we've all been there, no amount of money, no amount of fame, no amount of success can ever satisfy what God has designed us to be and to be satisfied in him and to know him and love him and and find everything we need in him. So that now we can go and work wholeheartedly, not to please men, but to honor God. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Colossians 3. Thank you for reminding us again the work of Christ, that he kept his word, he finished the work for us. And because of that, because we're now new creations, we've been set free, that we're forgiven, that we've been uh, given mercy upon mercies, and, and you've brought us in as children, sons and daughters of the king. You've brought us in as a family. Now we can work with a different motivation. So God, show us in those places in our lives where we're not working for you, we're not trying to glorify you, we're only thinking about others or intrinsic motivation or external motivation, God. May you reveal those things, may we repent of those things, and may we come running to you to find everything we need. Help us, God, as we go out into our world and into our workplaces, God, the, the, the places you've called us to, to be salt and light wherever we are and make much of you. So help us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.